Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, good morning, everybody. Glad uh, that you're here at Liquid. My name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. Hey, we need to say hello to our brothers and sisters joining us in New Brunswick, Nutley, and soon Mountainside. Give them a hand. Glad you guys are here. Also, if you're listening via podcast or you're listening on the radio, man, we are really thrilled that you're here for the series of kickoff of Crossroads. Um, so this summer, something kind of funny happened. My son, it's his first time going to sleepaway camp. Uh, he's going to this Christian boys camp in the Adirondacks. It's called Deerfoot. And it's about four hours from where we are here in New Jersey. So we drive up. They're pretty easy to find and plug in the GPS. It's four hours up Route 87. You know, like you're hitting the Adirondacks because you see a lot of pine trees and trailer parks. And uh, just being truthful, and you kind of get up there, and when we're about two miles from the camp, um, the GPS kind of kicks out because it's like, okay, you need to go kind of off-road here because it's a dirt road going into the camp. And it's one of those things where you ever have that moment with GPS, it's like you're following like a charted route, and then all of a sudden you're in this green area. And there's no like lines, there's no roads, but it's because it's kind of off the grid a little bit. And so we go down this dirt road, and, um, and that's fine because I'm in my Jeep Cherokee, and I start, I'm like, now my truck is finally going to come in useful, right? All you with SUVs. And so I turn on my country music because I'm like, I'm going to get my redneck on. And we're going down this dirt road and everything. And we're going down and everything is fine. But we come actually at one point to this fork in the road. There's actually a divide there, but it doesn't have any words. It doesn't say like, what's this way or what's this way? And we kind of stop. And my wife, Colleen, is like, you know, you know, what do you think? Now, I've told you before, I have this kind of directional deficit disorder. It's a medical condition. Do not laugh at that. That's, that's shaming me. Uh, so I said, uh, well, you know, I, kind of, I feel like we should go left. And uh, she's like, okay, we'll go right. We just basically do the opposite of whatever like, I instinctively think. And that's fine. So we go right, and we're going down the, the dirt road in. And as we come around the corner, an SUV is coming the other way. And we stop, we're not going too fast or anything, but it's a single lane thing. Like we're not going to, one of us is going to get past. And so this is that man moment where you have two trucks looking at each other, right? And I'm like, I ain't backing up. Uh, and so, and so I'm like, no, 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 it's, it's, sweetheart, watch this. And so I start, I, I back up a tiny bit, but then I start going up on the side and the, and the land slopes like that. So the, the truck starts going, mm, and Carl's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? It's like, I'm getting my redneck on. And I, I, I start pulling up the side and everyone's getting like a little nervous. I'm like, he can squeeze by. And so he tries to squeeze by, but his truck's like super fat. And he's just like, oh, I can't do it. And I'm like, come on, man, go up on the side. You know, and he's like, oh, so he starts moving and I try to move some more. And he's like, it's just, it, I can't squeeze by. We're all motioning, you know, squeeze by. And I say to Kali, I was like, can you believe this guy? What a, what a ridiculous, like as if it's his fault going down the wrong way, right? And so, uh, so bottom line is I squeeze even more to the point where Colleen is like, oh, you know, I don't want to tip over. And the other guy starts squeezing by, but as he becomes parallel with us, he rolls down his window. He goes, hey, Pastor Tim, great to see you, man. And I go, oh, hello, you know, <laughs> official pastor voice. Um, it's actually another family who goes to one of our campuses. So I apologize to you, sir. I am so sorry, um, you know, that happened. I I don't, it's an awkward moment there. Um, you ever have that happen? And not that, probably not. You're like, no. Um, I mean, when you come to a fork in the road, when when you don't know which direction to go in and, and the way you could go right, you could go left. It may not be a literal road, 
But we all kind of face these crossroads moments in life where your GPS runs out and you just got to make a choice about which way to go. You know, maybe your crossroads moment, a lot of kids returning to school, maybe your crossroads decision is like, hey, which college do I attend? What major do I choose? Do I, or relationships, do I remain single? Do I get married? Who should I marry? Do I take this relationship to the next level or do I break up, right? Some of you are at career crossroads. Do I stay in my job or do I find a new career path? You know, do we start a family? Do we have one kid, two kids, three kids? Can we give one back? What do we do? You know, I don't... (laughs) At some point in the journey of life, we all face these crossroads decision, a decision point that impacts the trajectory of our lives in ways that we can barely imagine when we're first faced with the decision. And the question is, how can you know that you're following God's will and not your own? That you're actually making the right choice. It would be very helpful if there were an app for that, right? Siri, which way do I go? Go left, fool. You know, there's not an app. But God's word does give us guidance. In fact, our anchor verse for the series Crossroads is found in the Old Testament book, Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet, and here's what he wrote. Watch this verse. This is what the Lord says. Can we say this together? What's in yellow? Here we go. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Very interesting. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Very interesting. God's like, first, you just got to acknowledge and see that you're at a crossroads. And maybe you know what that is this morning, or you're like, I'm not not really facing any decisions. But they're like, ask for the ancient paths and then walk and you'll find rest. Now, I wish I had that advice early in my life when I faced a number of crossroads in my 20s. I remember choosing colleges. I was about 19 even at the time. Do I go to a, a state university where I had a scholarship or do I go to a Christian school? If I had chosen what was easier, I might not be your pastor today. After graduation, I I stood at a crossroads in my relationship with Colleen. We had been dating a while, saw a lot of my friends getting married, and I looked at that sign, you know, which way do we go, George? Which way? You know, and I I I looked at that sign. Do I say single or we just, you know, don't get married? And I was paralyzed. I stood at that crossroads for eight years. My wife doesn't let us forget it, okay? And uh, and that is one of the regrets of my life that actually I didn't marry my wife Colleen sooner. That that's true. My first job teaching, I remember, I loved it. I loved teaching high school uh, at the time, but there, I was doing this little thing on the side called liquid that God seemed to be blessing. So I started going to seminary at night, and finally when it grew to a couple hundred people, I came to this crossroads because I couldn't teach full-time and do liquid full-time. And the question was, wow, do I leave my job you know, in public education? I had tenure, I had a steady paycheck. Do I leave the stability and the comfort of that for this, you know, crazy church, you know, will anybody come, you know, will, will this work? I, sometimes I still wonder this, you know. We all face these crossroads decisions in life, and whenever we come to that crossroads, Jeremiah gives us guidance. Look what the Lord says. He says, stand at the crossroads and what? And look, okay? In other words, God says at some point, you, first you got to see you're at a crossroads. But then he says, when you come there, don't like flip a coin, you know, or guess. Rather, he says, this is interesting, ask for the ancient what? paths. In other words, there are these older roadmaps that provide guidance for modern decisions. And that's what this series is about. Together, we're going to look at the ancient paths that Jeremiah suggests. Each week, we're going to look at an Old Testament story that shows how God's people faced a crossroads in their journey, and then how God used it for better or worse in their lives and families. So my hope is that you're going to have some handles today when you come to a crossroads moment in your life. How can you know you're following God's will, not your own? Or choosing wisely when multiple options actually look good. This is about the road less traveled 
and the difference it can make in your life. So let's jump in today, and if you take your Bible and open up God's Word to Genesis chapter 13. That's going to be on page 8, and this is part of the story of Abraham, one of the fathers of the Hebrew people. It occurred very early on in his life. God actually hadn't even changed his name to Abraham yet, so you'll see he's just called Abram at this point. And God came to Abram one day, and he says, hey, I want you to leave your country, set out with your family, make a clean break with your neighbors, and you give Abram credit. The guy did it. He obeyed. And so when we pick up here in chapter 13, he's on a road trip through a land called Canaan, and he had a traveling partner named Lot, okay? Lot was his nephew. This is the son of Abraham's brother, Haran. So Uncle Abram is driving, and Lot is riding shotgun, all right? This is where we pick up the story in Genesis 13, when Abram and Lot come to this crossroads moment. Let's start at verse 1. Here's what the scripture says. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev, that's a desert, with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Now Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and silver and gold. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier, and where he had first built an altar. And there, Abram called on the name of the Lord. Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, he also had flocks and herds and tents, but the land couldn't support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great that they weren't able to stay together. And quarreling arose, family squabble, between Abram's herders and Lot's. The Canaanites and Perizzites were also living in the land at the time, so Abram said to Lot, hey, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine. We're we're close relatives. And this is interesting, watch. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. So just pause there. Do you get the picture here? Uncle Abram and his nephew Lot, they're journeying together through this land of Canaan, and they're ranchers. They're pretty successful at this point. A lot of cows, a lot of livestock, silver and gold. They're both successful, but there's a problem. There's not enough grass and water to go around. This town ain't big enough for the two of us. And so they have this kind of family dispute. Hey, you're getting the best grass, man. No, you got the prime real estate. And give Abraham credit. The guy was a peacemaker in his family. It says, he says, hey, let's not have quarreling between you and me. I don't want to fight between your herders and mine. We're close relatives. Look, the whole land is before us. So let's part company. And here's the the solution he offers. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And if you go to the right, I'll go to the left, you pick Lot. In other words, we've come to a crossroads. We're going to have to go our separate ways at this point. You go one way, I'll go the other, but you choose Lot. Abram gives Lot first choice. That's actually pretty incredible. It's very extremely generous because in this culture, Abraham was older and he had the right to the first pick. But Abraham says, you know, I trust God. So Lot, you go ahead and pick first. See, crossroads moments have a way of revealing our character what we're really trusting in or who we're really trusting in. By letting his nephew pick first, Abraham was essentially saying, you know what? I'm going to risk being cheated here, but I'm actually trusting God to provide for my family and me. And in the interest of family peace, I'm going to put your needs ahead of my own. So Abraham was a committed believer. He was a devout follower of God. And you see here why God chose him to be the father of many nations. On the other hand, you're about to see what Lot is made of. Because he looks at this crossroads moment and he starts rubbing his hands. He's like, you're going to let me pick first? I get the first piece of cake? Look at verse 10. Lot looked around 
And he saw that the whole plain of the Jordan toward Zoar was well watered like the land of Egypt. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan. He set out towards the east, and the two men parted company. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan, while Lot lived among the cities of the plain, and he pitched his tents near Sodom. Hmm. Does this ring any bells? Look at verse 13. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. It's a defining moment. Two men. Both of them loved God, but they stand at a crossroads. And one goes left, and one goes right. And in that moment, their destinies are changed forever by that decision. Their families are changed forever. Their kids' futures are changed forever. I wonder this morning what that crossroads moment is for you. Maybe you know exactly what it is, or maybe you're not really aware of it, but I wonder some situation that you're facing right now that will impact your future trajectory in a way that you can't possibly know right now. Because Abraham went on to become the father of many nations. God actually blessed his sacrificial choice, and he became a hero of the Judean Christian faith. But Lot, on the other hand, he chose the path of least resistance. I was an English major in college, and one of my favorite poets was Robert Frost. And in his famous poem, The Road Less Taken, he wrote, Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. This decision made all the difference in the destinies of Abraham and Lot. And those of you facing a crossroads decision this morning, it will make all the difference in your destinies as well because life is a series of choices. We make our choices and then our choices make us. Whether big or small, every little choice plays a part in the overall direction of your lives and your family's life. And so the question is, are you moving more towards God or away from him into compromise with the world? See, Lot's choice here in Genesis 13, it sets in motion the series of events that was absolutely devastating to his marriage, to his kids, to his whole family. Faced with the crossroads, he didn't take the road less traveled. He took the path of least resistance. He's a picture of a believer living a compromised life. And this really serves as a warning for us today as we seek to live Godward lives in a world that's pretty hostile to our faith. So the question I have is, what did Lot do wrong? And if you look at carefully at this, there are three major mistakes that Lot made at this crossroads moment. If you're taking notes, the first one is this. You'll notice that first, Lot looked the wrong way. It says, when he was given his choice of land, the deciding factor for Lot was that it looked like the land of Egypt that they had just left. Look at verse 10. It says, Lot looked around. He saw the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered like the land of Egypt. In other words, instead of seeking God's direction, he didn't look up to heaven and say, Father, what do you want me to do? The scripture says he looked with longing on the land of Egypt. Egypt was his reference point. In the Bible, Egypt, as you know, is the land of sin and bondage. And at that moment, instead of actually appealing first for for, for his father in heaven, he lifted his eyes to the plains of Jordan. He stopped there and he said, man, look at this place. Plenty of grass, ton of water. This is the the prime real estate. This looks good to me. I think I'm going to do it. See, our eyes automatically are drawn to what our heart craves. And Abraham had taken Lot out of Egypt, but he couldn't take the Egypt out of Lot. We make our choices, and then our choices make us. On the other hand, where did Abram look at this crossroads? Look at verse 4. It says, there Abram called on who? The name of the Lord. In other words, at the crossroads, Abraham prayed. He trusted God and said, Father, would you give me heaven's perspective on this choice? See, your outlook 
determines your outcome. And when you're faced with a choice, the question is, where do you look first? Abraham walked by faith. Lot walked by sight. Are you facing a similar situation this morning? Maybe at work, in your business, you have competitors who, you know, who, quite honestly, they cheat. (laughs) They overcharge, they lie, they manipulate numbers to be successful. And everybody in your business, you know they cook the books, and you're afraid that actually if you're honest and forthright, they may steal your customers and get ahead of you. And guess what? That may happen. You may lose ground in the short term. But the question is, where is your focus? Is it short term? I'm going to make as much money as I can very quickly. Or is it honoring God long term in your career? Where's your focus? Crossroads draw these out. Maybe you're apprehensive about sharing your faith in Christ with your family, your friends, or your coworkers. We just had that series on evangelism. And you're like, that's great for you, Tim. You're a preacher. But I worry. Because if I share about Jesus, I'm going to be labeled like, I'm going to be a Jesus freak and all that thing. And I'm going to be one of the nutters. And I don't want to be, you know. They'll poke fun at me. Or maybe they'll walk away. Guess what? They may. But what's more important? What drives you in life? Is it the approval of men or the approval of God? Jesus says, whoever acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. So the question is, what are you looking to for your approval? See, crossroads surface a heart issue. The heart of the issue is always the issue of the heart. Maybe you're living with your boyfriend or your girlfriend and you're not married. I realize that is totally commonplace in our culture. I get it. But it is contrary to God's design for marriage. But you can't, I get it. Because when I talk to couples about this, they're like, dude, there's no way we could separate. It would be so expensive. It makes no sense. We'd be paying two rents. We have all this furniture. Cable. Ah, Verizon. Ah. Right? I know. You're looking at the temporary cost instead of the eternal price tag. The truth is you can't not afford to do it God's way. See, we make our choices, and then our choices make us. And like Lot, you will face tough choices, defining moments. And the question at that moment is, will you choose the path of least resistance that seems easiest and most sensible in the world's eyes? Or take the difficult path of obedience and actually leave the results up to God. Proverbs 14, the book of wisdom, says there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. See, basically the crossroads, Lot actually made a wrong turn. He looked at his options and he chose the easier path because he didn't realize the long-term consequences this would bring to his family. That's the second mistake that he made. Lot separated himself from other believers, specifically from Abraham. See, by moving away from Abraham, Lot walked away from probably the only godly influence in his life. And let me tell you something. One of the surest signs of spiritual decline is when a Christian or their family finds themselves drifting away from fellowship with other Christians. When we drift away from church, when we drift away from worship, the things that are supposed to draw us closer to God, we put a distance in. And instead, we start spending more and more time with, you know, whether it is, you know, our, our, our friends or not, not bad stuff, worldly stuff, though, stuff like sports or hobbies, travel, all of that may be good stuff, but it's not God. It's not God. So this would be like the family who prioritizes, right, you know, weekend sports or travel teams, even though all the games are on the Sunday, you know, and they rarely worship together. I get it. I got kids. I get it. But can I just totally be honest with you? Your kid may be talented and your kid may love it, but when you consistently choose the busyness of the world over investing time with God and his people, you are sending a very powerful message about what's most important in life. You are, I'm not trying to guilt you. All right? I'm not saying like, you need to go to church more. Why aren't you? No, I'm not, I get it. We all have schedules and choices to make. But you're the parent. 
you're the spiritual leader. And it's your call. It's your responsibility to lay a spiritual foundation. And, and so I love church online, but playing a podcast on Apple TV, that's a convenient thing on vacation. This is not a long-term winning spiritual strategy for developing a heart for God in your kids. You've got to put them in close proximity to be influenced by other believers. Lot and Abraham were from the exact same family, but they went separate ways. You know what? It didn't affect Abram very much, but for Lot, it signaled the spiritual atrophy of his entire family because they drifted away from the godly influence of other believers into a life of compromise. And that's how it is for a lot of Christians. Can I just be honest about this? We all have people in our lives who either build us up in Christ or actually pull us away from God. That's one of the reasons why I love coming here on Sunday. It's not because it's just my job. I want you to rub up against my kids. I want to hear what God's doing in your life. My faith needs that. My soul needs that. Your soul actually needs fellowship if you're going to grow deep roots and not just be dragged away by the world. And that's our hope. Our hope is that this is the most spirit-filled hour of your week and that worship just kind of kindles in you a fire in your heart for God. And this becomes kind of a spiritual grounding for your family. That's our prayer. You know why? Because whenever I see a family in crisis, it most often begins with a very subtle drift away from church and regular fellowship with other believers. We make time for other things, and our heart drifts because the things of the world grow brighter. And you know what? The world is sexier. Our culture is like a magnet. It draws us in. It kind of feeds our flesh, compromises its main language. And slowly and subtly, you lose your spiritual edge. The knife gets dull, and you get worldly, and your appetite for God kind of just grows dull. Remember this happened to me when I was a senior in high school, uh, probably 18, 19 at the time, I guess. I was trying to decide which college to attend. And as a senior, um, I told you about my crossroads decision. The question was, should I go to a Christian college or to a state university? Um, I did pretty well in high school, and I earned a significant scholarship to a uh, state university here in New Jersey, great school. I had pretty much close to a full ride to it, so I was like, I'm going to save money closer to home. Did not matter to me that it was a secular college. Most of my friends were non-Christians at that point. And when I visited uh, the campus, uh, they were actually having a, a keg party. Everyone's got like red solo cups. And I was like, oh, Egypt. I was, very, I was very interested, honestly. I, I kind of grew up in a Christian bubble. And so I figured, like, you know, I told my parents, I want to be a light in a dark place. What's in the cup? I was very curious. <laughs> now, my parents at the time, they were, I think they were kind of like, you know, you might want to consider a Christian college, even though it would cost them more. And so I visited Wheaton College. It's an evangelical Christian school right outside of Chicago. And it was first-class campus program, but honestly, I didn't want to go at first. Because in addition to your major, as an English major, in addition to that, you had to take Bible and theology courses and attend chapel Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And I grew up in the church. I'm like, I'm done with services. It seemed very restrictive. I wanted to cut loose a bit. Let's sniff around Egypt, enter God. <laughs> a, a ba- I'm serious. I was, I was, it, was, it was a done deal. I was going to school where I had the scholarship, and about a week before I had to make that decision, I woke up one morning like it was an audible voice, you need to go to Wheaton. I was like, Mom, are you in the room? You know, like, it's that Mom? And it was literally like somebody had been playing this in my head, and I never had any inclination that way, but it was God speaking to me. He he literally was like, "I'm, I'm interrupting this moment to let you know you need to go this way. And so I went to the kitchen and said to my parents, I said, hey, I know I was, you know, we're planning, I was doing this, but uh, I feel like, I don't know if like God talked to me, but I feel like I had this message when I woke up that you need to go to Wheaton. And I'm sorry, because I, I know that like costs more and everything. And my father was like, if God spoke to you, then you follow that. 
you, you do. Well, it was going to cost him more, and that's the kind of man my father is. So that fall, I ended up going to Wheaton. You know, I'm glad I did because at that moment, I was at a very vulnerable and immature place in my life where I actually needed to be surrounded by believers who were stronger than me. Because growing up in the Christian bubble, I was a little bit cynical about faith because, you know, it was so familiar to me. And at that age, I was very interested in Egypt. And honestly, that first year, I kind of skipped chapel most of the time. I hope if you're, the statute of limitations is over, I hope, you know. My friend, we go into Chicago on weekends to hear bands at bars and stuff. I'm not walking closely with the Lord at this point. But the reality is, I was surrounded by other students who were very sincere about their faith. And even though I was drifting a bit, they influenced me profoundly. Because I began to see that it actually is possible to have fun and still have faith. And in all my classes, no matter what we studied, every professor was in, would integrate a biblical worldview. They're all about the integration of faith and learning, God's word. We're going to integrate that. And that forest field around me, that was very impactful. Because even though I wasn't like on fire for Christ, it began building in me a Christian worldview in which to see the world. Well, that crossroads decision for me had a life-altering impact. In fact, attending... Wheaton is a major reason I'm serving as your pastor today. I was an English major, and even though, you know, I didn't like, you know, I didn't like Bible and theology at the time, I'm pretty glad now <laughs> that they force-fed it to me. I'm pretty glad I met my wife there, too. I didn't know she was going to be there. Now, listen very carefully to me on this. Listen, listen, listen. This is not to say that if you attend a secular school, you're going to compromise. But for me personally, it would have been disastrous. Because at that point in my life, I was immature. And if I had been exposed to keggers and no accountability, at that, I shudder to think about what might have happened. I might have made mistakes that I regret to this day. So don't misunderstand me. Is it possible for a follower of Christ to attend a secular school and grow in their faith and have a life of impact? Absolutely. I have friends who attended secular schools and flourished. That's why I'm very grateful for campus ministries like InterVarsity and Crew. You need fellowship. But personally for me at that crossroads moment, it would not have been a good choice because I need to be surrounded by believers, not separated from them. So parents, you know your kids best. You need to guide them. And students, you know. You know whether you're walking with the Lord or not. I get it. You can fake parents. I get that. But either way, you need the fellowship of other believers to grow in your convictions so that you won't compromise your faith. Because that's what the picture of Lot is, guys. He's a compromised Christian. He is drawn towards pagan culture, away from believers. He drifts from God, and then he makes a third deadly mistake. He flirts with Sodom. This is the fatal flaw in Lot's logic to me. He moves away from the godly influence of Abram and pitches his tents near Sodom, which is basically a way of saying he chose to live on the edge of Sin City. Show of hands, how many of you have ever been to Vegas? God, raise your hands, raise your hands. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's the life. Some guy goes like this. He goes, oh, I've been to, I'm in church. No, wait, I didn't go to Vegas. I didn't, I get, I get it. You're like, oh, no, no, I get it. So, okay. This is going to make sense to you, Sodom, Vegas, right? Senior year of college, I'm in Los Angeles doing an internship. And one weekend, we're like, hey, let's rent a car. We're going to drive to Vegas. Woo, Vegas, baby, right? You know? And so it was cool because if you drive out to Vegas, you drive through the desert. And it's like completely dark. Like there's nothing. There's cactus, Joshua, there's nothing until you see it. What is that? And you see this little neon bubble. And it starts growing bigger and bigger. It's like a neon pimple. And it's like, this, it's going bigger. And you're like, oh, and we drive it. And then we see the flamingo and all the lights and everything. And we're like moths, you know, to the flame. And then we see it, $2, all-you-can-eat buffets. We're like, promised land. This is amazing, man. 
And we had no money, so we didn't even go really anywhere, but we just kind of walked up and down the strip. In Vegas, I'll just be candid, with all the, you know, the, the, the ha-ha about it, it really is Sin City. Like, I mean, prostitution is legal. There are live sex shows. It is, it is it's disgusting. So we, we stayed over at some flea bag uh, motel for 40 bucks, and I woke up the next day, and let me tell you something. If you've never been there, there is nothing more depressing than Vegas in the morning with the lights on. Have you ever seen, ever walked in Las Vegas? It is like looking at a heroin addict who's wiping her makeup off and taking her teeth out. It's like trash, litter, people like in the gutters, shuttered strip clubs. That was Sodom. That was Sodom. Now, the people of Sodom were wicked and sinning greatly against the Lord. Sodom is where we get the word sodomy from. So in other words, this city was world-renowned for its sexual perversion and violence. And yet for some reason, with full knowledge of this, Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tents near Sodom. And why did he do that? Of all the places he could put his tent down, his family camps right on the edge of Sin City. Why? What drew Lot to Sodom? Was it the bright lights, the big cities, the $2 buffets? I don't know. Bible doesn't tell us. But we do know that Lot edged closer and closer and closer and closer, believing that he could keep his faith intact and handle any temptations that came his way. You know what? I think a lot of modern Christians like to do this. We like to flirt with Sodom. Yeah? We like to see how close we can inch towards a worldly lifestyle and sinful influences without being fully immersed in it, because I'm a church person. See, Lot is what you would call, the Bible calls, double-minded. Lot wanted friendship with God, but he also wanted friendship with the world. And the Bible actually warns against this type of divided allegiance. The apostle James writes this. He says, you adulterers, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Lot wanted to have it both ways. He had a knowledge of God. He knew what was right, but there was a flaw in his character. He wanted to see how close he could get to living on the edge of Sodom. And the problem is, whenever a believer does that, when you inch close to the edge, the smallest step can be a very slippery slope off the edge. I remember on another trip out west, so my wife Colleen and I visited the Grand Canyon. Has anybody ever hiked the Grand Canyon? Uh, Down and up? Anybody? Pretty amazing, right? It's like, this is God's version of beauty. Vegas is man's version, right? (laughs) It's like, man, that's the best he comes up with. This is God's. It's unbelievable. Grand Canyon, you've got to visit. It's incredible. I remember hiking down, and, you know, it's, it, everybody leaves at like 6 a.m. Colleen and I are like, we'll avoid the crowds. We'll go at 12 noon. It's about 127 degrees at 12 noon. And uh, it's the first time we've ever, like, been hiking, but we're young. And so I'm like, you know, well, let's get a real big bottle of Evian. Like, I mean, a big bottle, not the little one, a big one. You're supposed to have nine of those per person. So, but I'm like, you know what? Halfway down, you know there's going to be a refreshment stand. They're going to they're gonna be selling water, dipping dots for $100. You know, you know, I'm not worried about this. There's nothing. When you start hiking in the canyon, there is nothing. There are no signs. There's no refreshment stands. There are no railings. Am I telling the truth of this? We're going down the South, South Kaibab Trail, and we're about three hours in, and it is amazing. The, 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 the stone starts changing colors, red, orange, yellow, blue. It's amazing. And we're hiking down. We're out of water. And I could not believe it because I'm like, in America, this never happens. Everything is all legal. Well, the the road is, you know, it's probably about, I don't know, eight feet wide or something like that in some places, pretty wide. 
but there is no railing on the edge anywhere. And there's no rangers anywhere. And so I go and I look over the edge. It's literally 6,000 foot drop. And we looked over and I was like, oh, and I just stood against the wall like this. And we kept hiking. <laughs> and then the pack mules come up. Have you ever seen this? There are mules that carries people. They're riding on a donkey all the way up from the bottom. And the mules, the way they walk, they walk right on the edge and they're like this. Like, we don't care, man. We don't care, dude. We're just, we're just dumb. We just don't even, you know. They walk literally right on the edge. And we're like, oh, my gosh. And, you know, kind of going like this and everything. Here's a picture of Colleen in our, uh, our younger years there. It was very, yeah, right? Right? Okay. So now here's the thing. So after our trip, um, I came across this book called Over, that's enough, Over the Edge, <laughs> Death in the Grand Canyon. I find this book, right? That chronicles all the deaths that have happened there over 100 years. And, and obviously, you know, there's some obvious things, flash floods, helicopter crashes. But it really focuses on people who have fallen to their death over the edge without intending to. For example, in 1992, a 38-year-old father tried to frighten his teenage daughter by leaping, oh, I'm going to fall, oh, and he actually fell, right? You've done, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, I've done this, oh my gosh. In 2012, an 18-year-old woman hiking on the North Rim decided to venture off the path to have her picture taken at a spot known as Inspiration Point. I don't know what idiot would ever do this. Um, that's me over at Inspiration Point. A little, little bit thinner. Yeah, okay, thanks. Um, because you're like, there's no guy. I can just walk out here. This is incredible. Take a picture. Selfie. And um, that's a problem. As she sat down on the edge, she took her phone out to take a picture, and the rocks gave way, and she plummeted to her death. Now, those deaths weren't just tragic. They were completely avoidable. I mean, does any one of us want our last words to be, hey, look how close I can get to the edge without, ah! And yet, you know what? A lot of us approach sin asking the same question as Lot. Hey, how close can I get without falling over the edge? Can I pitch my tent a mile from Sodom? How about a half mile? How about a foot? How about a few inches? And we avoid God's warning signs, and we edge right up to the edge with this sense of false security, like, well, that happens to others, but not me. Guess what? Lot got so close to the flame of Sodom, he got burned, literally. His wife was turned into a pillar of salt when God judged the city with fire. He lost his wife, and his entire family was taken hostage. He had to be rescued by Uncle Abram. Lot's family paid for his harmless flirtation with Sodom. So let me ask you this. Have you ever had a wake-up call from heaven where you distinctly feel God is warning you about something? As Greg Laurie notes, he says, God doesn't want us to fall. He doesn't want us to fail. And so he sends us warnings beginning with our conscience. That little warning buzzer you have in your head that says you're getting close to the line. What do you do with that? You kind of shut it out, just get busy, lots of noise and activities, or you try to disable it. You ever have that, like when our our alarm goes off, our fire detector, smoke detector in our house? "Eh, eh, eh." I'm just like, because I shut it off and I can't shut it off. I just take it out. I take the batteries out. Done. Done with that. Maybe God is warning you right now. That relationship with that coworker, the opposite sex, is getting a little bit close now. Those lunches together, the emails, the flirty texts, the Snapchats, all that. How close can I get without crossing a line? We all have these crossroads situations all around us. How about that habit you have of stretching the truth a little bit when asked about some of your actions? And then you have to tell another lie to kind of cover up the previous one. Deep down, you know you're flirting with disaster. Stop. 
the name of God. Stop before it is too late. Don't end up like Lot. Do you know where Lot ended up? By Genesis 19, six chapters, he's sitting at the city gates of Sodom. You know who sits at the city gates? The leaders of the city. In other words, he actually inched forward enough and became one of the fathers of this most perverse and wicked city because sin had just worn him down so much, he caved in, he moves in with the rest of the pervs and says, well, that's just how we roll. And it cost him his wife and his marriage and one of the most disturbing accounts of the Old Testament. Lot's two daughters commit incest with him while he's stone-cold drunk. Talk about dysfunctional family. Lot thought he could handle it, but it warped his kids. Hashtag father fail. His little incremental choices play out over time, and it compromised his faith and shipwrecked his whole family. That's how sin works. It's not pretty. I get it. It's not pretty. But we make our choices, and then our choices make us. And it can impact the spiritual trajectory of an entire generation. So I don't know what kind of decision you're facing today, but maybe God has revealed a crossroads moment in your life that you weren't even aware of when you walked in. Maybe you know exactly what it is. But the reality is you've got choices. You can fudge and compromise like Lot, who he looked the, other, he looked the wrong way, he separated himself from other believers, and then he flirted with Sodom and took the path of least resistance. Or you could choose the road less traveled, like Abraham. Abraham put the needs of his family above his own, and he trusted God with the outcome. And listen to me, listen to me. If you hear one thing this morning, hear this. You never lose when you choose God. You never lose. You may take a short-term hit in the world's eyes. Your life may have hardships and sorrows, but God rewards his children. And you know what? God is not just a judge who sends fire. He's a generous father. That's God's heart. Do you know how God rewarded Abraham? Let's follow this story to the end. Last verses here. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had parted from him, hey, look around from where you are to the north and to the south, to the east and the west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your kids forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anybody could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land for I'm giving it to you. So Abram went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Lot said, that looks good. I think that's the way I'm going to go. And God said, you're making a mistake. And Abraham said, I'm going to pay for this short term, but I'm going to trust you, God. And God said, you know what, come here, come here, Abraham. You see Lot? He thinks he got the good stuff. But guess what? Here's a secret. It's all yours. I'm giving it all to you and your kids. You don't worry about your nephew. I'm going to bless you because you walk by faith, not by sight. God had a surprise. Can you imagine what that was like for Abraham to hear that? Let him pick whatever he wants because all of it, hon, is yours, my son. Abraham didn't lose a thing. He didn't lose his family. He didn't lose his land. God gave him the entire land of Canaan and his family would have it all and his children would be blessed generation after generation after generation. I wonder what the outcome will be for your family, for your job, for your marriage, for your kids, for your career. We make our choices and then our choices make us. 
And God rewards those who walk by faith, not by sight. So I want to close with a challenge this morning. Maybe you're here today and you know what your crossroads is. You're like, man, I, I need wisdom for a decision I'm making. Or maybe you're like, you know what? This is hard to hear because I've been flirting with Sodom. This is a moment for you to repent. Repent means you just change direction. You're going this way, God speaks to you, and you say, I'm coming back, God. This is a moment to come back. Are you facing a crossroads decision? Ask God for wisdom. Maybe you know the right way to go, but there's an easier path. It looks very tempting. You need the Holy Spirit this morning, and the Holy Spirit can give you the power and the courage to make a choice that you can't make in your flesh. Whatever your crossroads is, your road must lead to the cross. The reason we call this series Crossroads is because when you face these decisions, guys, on the cross, Jesus took all of our flirtations, all of our failings, all of our sin, and he paid for them with his life. So you can have a fresh start, a do-over with God, and you can cross over to new life in Christ. That's the truth of the gospel. That even when we go the wrong way, God says, I'm not done with you. You can always come back. I'm a father and I love prodigals. I love sons, I love daughters who've gone the wrong way, but come back to me humbly and repent. I love that. So understand this. We're going to have a moment of response here for you to pray, talk to God, do business with God. And we're going to worship in a way that kind of recenters your life on Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is your creator. Jesus Christ is your Lord and he is your savior and he will restore you if you let him. So this is a moment, just kind of open up your heart to God, talk to him, ask him to recenter your thoughts and your affections on Christ for your family. Whatever road you're on this morning, let it lead you to the cross where Christ laid down his life for you. All our campuses, would you stand right now? We're going to stand up before God. We're going to close our eyes. Let's close our eyes. And God's eyes are open. Your father's watching. You're his child. Let's take a moment to pray. If you're here this morning, our heads are bowed, and you need more of God. You need, you're facing a crossroads. You need his wisdom. Would you just open your hands? Just open them up and receive from God. Right now, Father God, I pray that you'd pour out your Holy Spirit, Father God. Wherever there's a spirit of Sodom in our families, in our relationships, in the name of Jesus, Father, we say no, we repent, we go in a new direction. Father, we invite your Holy Spirit right now. I pray for men and women, Lord, who've drifted from you. Would you just speak to them right now, Father God? You're drawing them back with love. In Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation, there's compassion. You have that for us. And I pray right now, Father, we confess our sins to you in our heart. We just take a moment to do that silently. Christ, be the center of our lives. Reorient our lives around you. We wrap our life in your life. Father God, I pray that there are people who are approaching the edge that you're drawing back and saving this morning. Lord, I pray for wisdom, for decisions right now that will be critical to families and kids. I pray that you will illuminate that by your Holy Spirit and we will choose wisely and that all the glory would go to Jesus Christ. We thank you for what you did on the road to Calvary and on the cross and we worship you now. And all God's people said together, amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com 
or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. LiquidChurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.